Today is the running of the Indianapolis 500, one of the biggest races of the year. By the mid-1960s, Mario Andretti had already made a name for himself as an IndyCar racer. But it was 50 years ago, in 1967, that Mario decided to not only run the IndyCar series, but also to get involved in NASCAR, running stock cars. And so it was that he was invited by a team, the Holman Moody Race Team, to be one of their drivers at the Daytona 500. They already had a a racer, a driver in the race. His name was Freddie Lorenzen. Freddie was a favorite. He had been a NASCAR driver, very popular. The team certainly wanted Freddie to win the race. They did not want this new young Mario to do well. So they gave him really a dog of a car. And they really were shocked when he went out and ran so well that he qualified for the race. And once Mario qualified, he began working on that car. And by race day, he was ready. And he went out and ran that race. And lo and behold, he was doing what nobody believed he could do. Towards the end of the race, he was in the lead. He had to make one final pit stop, and he came into the pits. They had to give him fuel, change his tires. Well, his pit crew didn't want Mario to win. They wanted their teammate Freddie to win. So they took their sweet time changing his tires. They left him up on the jacks. Mario was furious. They finally got the tires changed, dropped him, and he took out of the pits. He began racing and trying so hard, just giving his very best. And when it finally came to the end of the race, and they waved the checkered flag, Mario Andretti won. He made up the ground, and in 1967, he won the Daytona 500, which would ultimately make him the only racer ever to win the Daytona 500, the Indianapolis 500, and the Formula One racing title. It was a big day 50 years ago. Sometimes in life when you're running the race, people try to sabotage you. They try to hurt you. But if you give your best you still can win. But winning does not always mean coming in first. While working on this sermon series, I came across a story about a cross-country, a marathon runner, a man named Ivan Fernandez Anaya. He is Spanish. And back in December, he was running a race in Navarre up in Spain, northern part of Spain. It turned out that the leader in the race was a man named um, Abel Mutai. Mutai was from Kenya. And if you're a, a, an Olympics fan, you may remember it was Mutai who would win the bronze medal in the London Olympics there in the, the marathon. Well, Mutai was leading the race. He had a commanding lead. And as he came to the finish line, he got confused. He didn't really know exactly where the finish line was. He thought he had crossed it, and so he stopped to catch his breath, and he was 10 yards short of the finish line. And so here came Anaya giving his very best, and he suddenly realizes that Mutai has stopped, and he can win the race. 
all the fans are just screaming and they're screaming actually at Mutai where the finish line is and telling him to run. But they're talking in Spanish. He's from Kenya. He doesn't understand a word they're saying. And so he just keeps standing there and here comes Anaya. And when he sees what's happening, he slows down and he points Mutai the way to cross the finish line first and then he comes in second. Ivan Anaya shows the world you don't have to be first to win. When I asked about it, he said, I didn't even have to think about it. I knew it was the right thing to do. The right thing to do. To give your best and do the right thing with compassion, with kindness, with mercy. It's how you run the race. It's how you get the checkered flag and you win. This morning, I want to conclude this sermon series, Racing to the Flag. You know, for six weeks, we've had a good time looking at the flags of racing discovering that the flags in racing communicate messages to the drivers who are running the race. And we have said that God seeks to communicate the same messages to us as you and I run the race of life. We have looked at the green flag, the green flag that says, Go, full throttle. It's a flag that there's a restart. You can start again and keep on running in the race. There's the red flag. There's been a wreck, a crash, stop, danger. There's the yellow flag. You run under caution, slow down. It's dangerous, be careful. There is the blue flag, a flag for it's the courtesy flag, a flag that says you're about to get lapped. If you'd like, it'd be nice if you pulled aside and helped someone along the way. There's the white flag. It says you're on the last lap and the last lap still matters. And then there's the checkered flag. The checkered flag tells you the race is done. And the first person to cross the finish line who gets the checkered flag wins. But every person who crosses the finish line is getting the checkered flag to say the race is done. It's over. The truth of the matter is you and I are all on a race. And one day, you cross the finish line. One day, we all get the checkered flag that says the race is done. That's where Paul was in our scripture lesson this morning. We believe that Paul was in a prison cell in Rome when he writes these first and second letters to Timothy. He is older. And Paul says, the time of my departure has come. He knows the end is near. And so he writes these letters to Timothy. He calls him his son in the faith. Timothy was much younger than him. Now, most scholars believe that parts of 1st and 2nd Timothy were probably written by some of Paul's disciples who wrote them at the end or the, of the first century or the beginning of the second century to deal with some of the issues at hand. But the foundation, the fundamental part of the letters, were written by Paul 
to Timothy, his son in the faith. And seeing that Paul now knows the end is about to come, it's interesting to see what he would write to his son in the faith. Paul suddenly jumps into this analogy of running a race, which would be an easy thing to do. The Greeks, centuries before, had started the games. People would still run the races in Paul's day. That was a popular and common thing. And so Paul jumps into this analogy of of running the race, and he winds up saying, you know, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I fought the good fight. Now, he's not talking about fighting. In Greek, the way that he says that, what he's saying is, I have competed well. I've done my best. I gave it my all. I fought the good fight. I followed the rules. I gave it my best. I finished the race. For Paul, there were many who tried to sabotage him. There were many who tried to keep him from going forward. I didn't quit. I finished the race. And how did Paul finish the race? I kept the faith. Now remember, faith is not a set of beliefs. Faith is trusting in God's love towards you. It's trusting in God's constant love towards us, His children. I have kept the faith. I gave it my best. And I didn't quit, even when people tried to sabotage me. Because I trusted in God's grace. I didn't quit. And now I know the race is about to be over. But I will be crowned with a crown of of righteousness. The crown was a laurel, a wreath made out of leaves, flowers. When people won a race, they would be given, instead of a gold medal, they were given the laurel, the crown. But it's also something people wore to special occasions, to weddings, To any day when there was great joy, great pride, you would get this laurel, this wreath to be able to wear. It was a symbol of joy, a time of celebration. But Paul goes on, it's not just that he gets that crown, not because he's first or he's best. He says everybody gets it. Anybody can get the crown of victory. Those who gave their best, who did it right with grace and love and mercy. Those who didn't quit, you'll know joy when you come to the end for those who look to Christ. I believe that on this Memorial Day, it's a good time for us to stop and think about running the race and how one day, the race will be done. We all get the checkered flag. It's a day we've come to honor those who served and who gave their lives so that you and I can know liberty and freedom. We give thanks. It's a time in which you and I come to think of all of those who have blessed our lives, those in our family of faith, those who are our friends, who finished the race. But one day we too will finish the race And I want us to think, how do you come to the end of the race and know peace and know joy? Now, I know that we all tend to think that you come to the end of the race when you get older. 
But what I've discovered is the older I get, I always think that age of finishing the race gets older too. But the truth of the matter is you never know when the race will be done. It comes for us all. I I told you about J.R. Hildebrand last week, the, the rookie racer in the Indianapolis 500 back in 2011, who came down to the last turn in the last lap when he hit the wall. He's leading the race and is going to win. He hit the wall and he skidded across the finish line second. Dan Weldon at the last minute zipped by him to win the Indy 500. It was Dan's second time to win the Indy 500. Dan was a great guy. Dan was 33 years old, married, two kids. He was from Britain. He was a British racer. Good looking, nice guy at the top of his game and winning race after race. After he won the Indianapolis 500, it'd be a couple months later, he'd be in Florida at the Walt Disney World Grand Prix. And there would be a fiery crash. And Dan would be killed. 33 years old. And the race was done. You don't know when the race will be done. So how do you know you're running the race well? That you're giving your best. That you're doing it right. With kindness and compassion. What I want us to do this morning, I want us to stop and ask ourselves just two questions. That will help us to see. First of all, I believe when you come to the end, like Paul is sitting there in his prison cell in Rome, you start to wonder, has my life had meaning? Has it had purpose? Has my life made a difference? Everybody wants to feel like our lives made a difference. You start to wonder. Maybe one of the better ways to know if your life has made a difference is to ask yourself the question, do you think there will be anyone who will be thankful for you? Is there anybody who's going to be making up a list of the people who they are grateful for who have blessed their life while they've been on the race? Is anybody going to write your name down that they're thankful for you? Paul sitting there in the prison cell doesn't seem to be depressed. He doesn't seem to be frightened. It's because he still is trusting in God's grace and he can look at his life and oh my goodness, Paul looks back on all the people he blessed. Timothy, his son in the faith, a young man, his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, they were already Christians. They found Timothy and Paul took him on his worldwide travels, opened the door, changed his life. There was Lydia. You remember she was in Philippi? She was a seller of purple goods. She came to know Paul and she let him use her home to start a church. Most successful church he started there in Philippi. Changed her life. There was Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave who ran away from his master, Philemon, came to Rome, came under the influence of Paul. And finally he felt so guilty he confessed and Paul said, you need to go back and make it right. He wrote a letter to Philemon because he knew Philemon, who was a Christian, saying, Onesimus sure is a good guy. We believe that Philemon then let Onesimus go, forgave him his debt, and Onesimus went on to become a bishop in the early church. Talk about changing a life. 
No, Paul could look back over the years and think of Timothy and Lydia and Onesimus and so many. He knew there'd be people who'd be saying thanks for what Paul had done for them. Two weeks ago at the Indianapolis Speedway, there was an amazing race that was run. It was a one-on-one race, two racers. It was Sam Schmidt, who was 52, and Mario Andretti, who's 77. The two of them went out on a one-on-one race. Now, they did it because, well, Sam had always idolized Mario. As a kid growing up, Mario was in his prime. He was his hero. At five years old, Sam fell in love with racing. It's all he wanted to do with his life, and he became a professional race car driver. But in 1999, Sam was racing when he hit the wall. It was a horrible accident. And he was paralyzed from the chest down. He became a quadriplegic. He was married, had a couple kids. was a nice guy, a man of faith. He was determined not to let this be the end of his life. Though confined to a wheelchair, he continued to love racing. In the end, he created a racing team, bought the cars, and, and he still would go to the tracks in his wheelchair and be there for race day and And it was his racing team. But he always dreamed of technology and things that might help him to walk again. He had such a faith, knowing that if it didn't happen in this life, it would happen in the next. And one day he would use his arms to hug his children and his wife again. But what he would give to have that now? Well, about a year ago, it was Aero Electronics that came to Sam. And they said, we're working on a car. And it's going to be a semi-autonomous car. And what they did was they, they got him a hat that had sensors on it. And then there were all these cameras on the dash that were connected to computers that controlled the car. And you could sit in the car and move your head. And that would then be sent by the speed of light to these computers that would then begin to adjust the car. And so if you move your head this way, the wheel starts to turn. You move your head this way, the wheel starts to turn. If you throw your head back, it stomps on the gas. It had a tube in his mouth, and if you bite down on the tube, how hard you bite on the tube determined the pressure to put on the brakes. And so with this tube and all these sensors on his hat, he could sit there and drive this car well, they brought him to Indianapolis, and there he got to run a, out on the track by himself. They, they had taken a, a Corvette Stingray and modified the car. And they got out there on this racetrack, and he was soon driving 70 miles an hour, racing around the track purely by moving his head and, and by biting or blowing onto this tube. He got pretty good at it so that he came back, and soon he was running laps at 150 miles an hour, moving his head and biting on the tube. And so then he called Mario Andretti. He had never had a chance to race Mario because they were of different generations. And he was his hero. And he called Mario and said, I want to race you one-on-one, but you got to drive my kind of car. At 77 years old, Mario agreed. And he said, get in the car, it's kind of tough. I mean, you're trying to move and drive the car by moving your head and biting on these things. And 
He said, you know, when I've been out there driving in the past, when you're driving and you're going to start moving around, you look over your shoulder. He said, first time I did, I was heading towards the grandstands. He said, there's a lot to think about not moving your head and what you're doing and racing out here. They wanted to call attention to people who are paralyzed. Well, they got together to race and Mari was saying, don't you lap me now, Sam. That's going to be embarrassing. But Mario was such the racer. He'd been out trying and trying to learn. And they ran the race at speeds over 150 miles an hour. And in the end, Mario won. But the real person who won was Sam. I mean, he was out there when the race was over doing donuts, burning his tires, smoking, just going. He didn't want it to end. He came back over into the pits and everyone was jumping up and down and giving high fives and what a race it had been. Mario was there kissing him on the head and hugging him. Sam had such a long list of people he was grateful for. They asked him about it and he said, Today, sitting in his car and racing, I feel alive. They say that within five years... This technology should be available to everyone. I feel alive. Is there anybody that you help to feel alive? Is there anybody who's going to make up their list and they're going to put your name down to say thank you? That you helped them to run the race? If you give your best and you do it right with grace and compassion, there will be those who list your name down to say thank you. Secondly, on this Memorial Day, I think it is important for us to stop and think who are on our list to say thank you to for the way they helped us to run our race. Because there are so many, we have been so blessed. From the strangers that you will never know who have given their lives so you and I can be free, to family, to friends, people who sacrifice so that you and I could have life. It is good to make up your list of those you say thank you to. But it's also important to think about those who are still living. Because right now you and I have the opportunity to say thank you, to do the things we need to do, to say the things you need to say to bless life. And if you're doing your best and you're doing it right with mercy and compassion, you're going to bless life and you're going to be able to express your thanks. And it's what helps you to finish the race and to win, to get the checkered flag. If you read the scripture and continue on from where we stopped today, you'll start reading where Paul starts making a list of all these people he's thinking about now that he's come to the end. People he wants to thank. There is Timothy, who's going by to get his cloak and his parchments. There is Luke, his physician, who traveled with him, wrote the book of Acts. There is John Mark, the young man who went with them and failed and then came back. There is Priscilla and her husband Aquila. 
No, he starts making a list of all these people who have blessed him. I promise you, when you come to the end of your race, you will be thinking about family and friends and those who loved and blessed you. I, I recently heard a song I hadn't heard in years now. It was by Reba McIntyre, and it was If Only I Had Known. It was a very powerful song. I hadn't thought about it in a while. But you remember Reba McIntyre. I've always loved her. I mean, what a great singer out of Oklahoma. Made it big. It was about 25 years ago now. She had been given a concert and was heading home. Her band was flying in two small planes when one of them hit a mountain. And about half of her band was killed. I mean, they were family. There was such grief and there was such pain. She came out with an album not long after that that was entitled, If Only I Had Known. And it was a powerful song. It ultimately was very successful. It was used in a movie. It's been used by charitable organizations. The fascinating thing is Reba didn't write the words. She's the one who made it popular and so well known. But the words were written by Jana Lee Stanfield. Jana Lee is a songwriter and singer who was successful in her own right. And she's the one who tells the story of how when she was growing up, she grew up in Clovis, New Mexico. And when she was 14 years old, Clovis had a, a law back then that said, if, you've, if you're in the ninth grade and you've taken driver's ed and you're 15 years old, you can get a driver's license. Well, a bunch of her friends, when they got to eighth grade, They'd taken driver's ed, they were 15, and they had their driver's license. Jana wasn't going to still get it for a number of months. But going into that summer, she knew they were going to have fun. Finally freedom. Her friends at 15, they had a driver's license. It was going to be great. Until one night her father came in and said, Jana, you and I need to have a talk. And she said, by the way he said it, I knew I didn't want to have that talk. She said, I didn't know what the talk was about, but I knew I didn't want to have it. He sat her down and said, Jana, I don't think it's safe being with your friends who just got their driver's license at 15. I think we need to wait till they get some experience. I do not want you riding with any of them until this September. Well, she started crying and she threw a fit and she began to holler. I'm going to be a pariah. I'm going to be an outcast. I won't have any friends. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, she went crazy. He didn't budge. Instead, he called his sister Dorothy, and Aunt Dorothy then called Jana and said, why don't you come to work with me this summer? She was a bookkeeper working at Doc Johnson Chevrolet. She said, you know, your mom can drop you off at work. I'll bring you home. Come work with me this summer. Since Jana knew she wasn't going to be hanging out with her friends, she decided she'd accept the job. And the very first day, Aunt Dorothy was introducing her to all these other women who were working there at Doc Johnson. All these other secretaries, bookkeepers. There's about five of the ladies. And they are getting together and they were all talking. And, and she said, you know, that summer changed her life. That summer was a pivotal moment in her life. Because as they got together, these women, they, they just treated her different. I mean, they treated her like an adult. I mean, they asked her opinions on everything from politics to religion, uh, you name it. They'd talk about all adult-type subjects. It was that summer she learned, why did Uncle Joe lose part of his lung? 
Why did cousin Julie have to get married so young? How can you tell if a salesman is having an affair? How do you make money in the car business? Oh, they talked to her about all these things. But twice a week, she and Aunt Dorothy would always go to the drive-in and they would get chicken fried steak fingers, cream gravy, french fries, and Texas toast. Man, I remember those days. That's good eating. Twice a week, they would go. She learned so much and they shared so much. Whenever she got through with her work, though, she would always get a piece of paper and she'd put it into a typewriter. I know that some of you younger people don't know what that is, but it's, she'd put this piece of paper in a typewriter and she'd start typing. My name is Janalee Stanfield. Stars are shimmering above. I will not eat chicken feet for breakfast. It was her way of saying, I'm going to be successful. I got my dreams. Well, she got through the summer. At the end of the summer, she's different. She had money in her pocket. She went out and bought new clothes, clothes that she liked. She got her hair cut the way she thought was stylish. She had a whole new confidence and went back to school and she reached out to people. She ran for student council and got elected. She'd be elected most popular in the school. Her world turned upside down. High school was busy, but she still found time to go back by Doc Johnson's and there to visit with all these women she had worked with. And they would talk. Well, she finally graduated high school. She went to college out of state. But whenever she was back home for Christmas, she would always go by Doc Johnson just to go by and, and to see the girls. When she finally graduated from college, it was Aunt Dorothy and Uncle Joe who came by to see her and brought her a present. And she opened his box and there was a beautiful silver bracelet. And underneath there was a piece of paper. And she unfolded this piece of paper and what it said was, My name is Janelle Stanfield. Stars are shimmering above. I will not eat chicken feet for breakfast. Her aunt had saved what she had typed so many years ago to give her the gift to say, don't forget your dream. Remember who you are. And so Lee went off to Nashville and she didn't have to eat chicken feet for breakfast. She did well. She did well. Well, after she'd been gone for a couple of years, she came home one Christmas and they said, Aunt Dorothy, she has cancer. She went to go see Aunt Dorothy and they talked. She went back to Nashville and a couple months later she got a call and they said, if you want to talk to Aunt Dorothy again, you need to call her now. She's come to the inn. She paused for a few minutes just to think. And then she called and she and Aunt Dorothy talked. They talked about going to the drive-in to get those chicken fried steak fingers and cream gravy. They reminisced about all the good times they'd had and what all had happened. They had a good visit. But it finally came time to say those final goodbyes, to say those final I love yous. And once spoken, she hung up the phone. And then she wept. 
A couple days later, she got the call. And after she got the call, she sat down and she wrote these words. If I had only known, I'd never hear your voice again. I'd memorize each thing you ever said. And on those lovely nights, I could think of them once more and keep your words alive inside my head. If I had only known, I'd never hear your voice again. If I had only known it was my last night by your side, I'd pray a miracle would stop the dawn, and when you'd smile at me, I would look into your eyes and make sure you know my love for you goes on and on. If I had only known, if I had only known, the love I would have shown, if I had only known. The truth is, we do know. We do know the race comes to an end. We all get the checkered flag. So run the race well, giving your best, doing it right with grace and love and compassion. Keep the faith. You'll run the race well and be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I gave it my best. I didn't quit. I finished the race. I trusted in God's grace. I kept the faith. Do the things you need to do now. Say the things you need to say now. Because one day we all finish the race. Remember, we're all racing to the flag. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.